listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Pullman Campus, reaching the world for Jesus one person at a time. We've been in this series called Shaping Faith. We've been talking about uh, kind of growing personally in our, uh, by way of spiritual disciplines. The first part of the series, we talked about the core four. And the core four was all about personal spiritual disciplines to help us grow personally, like internally, to help us grow and mature. And then we talked about how we're going to shift and start talking about community. So if you missed any of these first five weeks of this series, the introduction that kind of talks about the whole overview or any of the spiritual discipline sermons, there's the address. It's in your notes too. People ask us all the time, where do we find the Pullman sermons? We go online and there's Moscow sermons. It's really simple. LifeRotp.com forward slash Pullman sermons. And you're there. Okay. So that's where to get caught up if you missed any of them. This morning, we're going to dive into the next segment, which was the next shape was the circle. And the circle is all about community. And we talked about how those eight aspects, those eight things we have listed in there are like ingredients, if you will, to healthy community. So they're kind of like for us measuring sticks, like for us as a family, these things, if we're dialed in and doing well, the way God desires us to treat one another and live together in community, these attributes would be present and showing up and common amongst us, right? And so over the next several weeks, we're going to unpack these and talk about how they show up throughout God's word. And we're going to talk about how they show up in our community and, and what is our part in learning how to live these things out. All right. So We're going to do two things this morning. We're going to, number one, dig into God's word a little bit and talk about uh, this idea of community and relationship, like doing life together as a family, as a community. Is that just a cool church idea or is that God's idea? And if it's God's idea, like what does he really have to say about it? Like, is it a big deal, little deal, once mentioned? You know, like we're going to dig in and look at that. The second thing we're going to do is we're going to talk about ownership, which is one of the attributes of healthy community, is ownership. That's all about, like, what's our part in this creating and maintaining the kind of family we're going to talk about? What's our part? So that's the two things we're going to knock out this morning. Okay, so first of all, when it comes to community and relationship, what does God's word have to say about it? If we go all the way back to the beginning, we see Adam in the garden. And in the garden, Adam by himself, before Eve, before sin, before any problems take place, Adam is with God in the garden and things are good. In fact, all the way through the story up to this point, all we've heard God say is how good everything has been in creation. It's good, it's good, it's good, it's good. And then into that scene, God looks and for the first time says something profound. He says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I need to make a helper for him. And so right out of the gate, early on in God's story, when he talks about community and relationship and friendship and fellowship, he sort of just right out of the gate debunks the idea that all we need is God, right? Sometimes you can hear people go, I don't really need a small group. I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be a part of Christian community. Like I can just be a Christian by myself. And while that may be true in practice, it, it doesn't line up with God's heart for how he wants his people to live. 
Because God apparently thinks it's not good to be just with him. In fact, it's interesting as Adam, even in the garden, perfect creation, walking with God in his midst, Adam even had something that we all know is so important. Adam had a job. In the very beginning, even before Eve, it says that God put Adam in the garden and gave him instructions to work and tend it. Like Adam had purpose and mission and direction and a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And even that wasn't enough. Okay, let's take a look at uh, Psalm 133 and see what the psalmist has to say. How good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It's like precious oil poured on the head, running down the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion, for the Lord bestows his blessing, even life forevermore. Now, if the idea of oil being poured on Aaron's head sounds weird to you and doesn't make a lot of sense to you, then this analogy is a weird one, right? It's so good when God's people live together in unity. It's, it's like, let me think of how good it is. It's so good, it's like getting oil poured on your head. That's sort of weird, right? You're like, yeah, I don't know. I'm a parent. I've had honey poured on some stuff. That's not cool. Oil doesn't sound great, right? We're not talking petroleum. We're talking olive oil. You want to do a fun study, dig in and see where oil shows up, the pouring on of oil throughout the scriptures. Often, I'm not going to say always, frequently, oil being poured on represents the Holy Spirit. Oil being poured on represents God pouring himself on someone, over someone, like immersing them with his spirit. And so the analogy we have from the psalmist here, the example that he's trying to make, he's trying to make this extravagantly amazing point. Like, it's so good when God's people live together in unity. Like, I can't even think of a way to tell you how good it is. It's so good, it's like when God actually poured out his spirit on Aaron. That's how good it is when God's people are tight. It's a big deal. Let's take a look at what Paul had to say. Oh, Micah, sorry, skipping ahead. Micah 6.6 6 says, uh, with what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with uh, thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We're getting to see this kind of cool thing going on here. We're getting to see a snapshot of like kind of God's perspective on things as he's talking with Micah and giving Micah like the message to tell to his people, Micah the prophet. And we're getting to see kind of the, a window into God's understanding of things. God's sort of like this, like, I, I, I don't know how to get through to you guys because it feels like, as God, this is my gigantic paraphrase to give you a picture. It feels like you, all my people keep coming to me going, how do we get your blessing? How do we 
find out that you're pleased with us? How do we know when things are good and you're happy with us? And, it's, and God's like, and you keep asking me all these questions like, like, how many rams should we sacrifice for you? Like, what if we brought you 10,000 rivers of olive oil? Would that make you happy? He says, some of them even ask me questions like, should we offer up our own firstborn as a sacrifice like some of the pagans had started to do? And God's like, Micah, you need to help them here. You need to help them understand none of that is what I want. Tell them what I want from them more than any of that. What I want from them is I want them, my kids, my people, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. If you're a parent and you have a couple of kids, my wife and I have five. You'll relate to this if you're a parent. For me and my wife as a parent, there's few things that are more pleasing than when you catch your kids loving each other. When you see your kids being kind to each other and to being merciful for each other and not getting even when they could have got even or to, to just be loving and be there for one another. Like, like we see as parents, lots of times our kids squabble and a lot of times you feel like you're a referee. Half of your parenting you know, career is refereeing. Fist fights and arguments and shotgun and right. Whoever invented that thing, oh. For a long time, I just want to take the front seat out of the car, totally. Just like, there is no shotgun. It doesn't exist anymore. Argue over the back seat where I can't hear you, right? We referee, but when we see our kids getting along, it just brings joy to your heart as a parent. That's the heart of God the Father. That's the picture that he's trying to have Micah help his people here, and he's trying to help us here. Like, you know what pleases me? You know what puts a smile on my face is when I look out and I see that you, my kids, act justly, that you're quick to love mercy, not looking to get even, and that you can walk humbly with me. That, that pleases me more than anything you could ever bring me or do for me or give me or offer me. It's not about what you can do for me. It's about how you treat each other. Paul goes on. In Galatians, and he says this, he says, the entire law is uh, fulfilled in keeping this one command, love your neighbor as yourself, right? It, we're getting this idea of a God that wants us to be unified, wants us to be together, a God who says that the most important thing, like everything hangs on this idea that we could love each other as much as we love our own self, he goes on in Galatians to talk about the fruit of the Spirit, like the evidence of God working, us, working in us. He says the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, uh, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Like apart from relationship, apart from community, you don't see the fruit of the Spirit like alone in a room by yourself. You don't see patience and kindness and gentleness. It's like gentleness with who? Who are you being gentle with? 
Like God desires his spirit to be at work in us in the context of family, of relationship, of friends, of community, the, the one another environment is where God shows us how he is at work in each other. And it's in the context of relationship that we see people be kind and gentle and have forbearance like this, like uh, it's this uh, like insane patience. If you've ever been in a relationship, it comes in handy, right? That's God at work in us. Here's the thing, that there's two things that are kind of going on that we're hearing about. We're hearing this picture of a God who cares about how we treat each other, deeply cares about how we treat each other, and we're hearing about a God who deeply wants us to be in unity, like on the same page, right? Like, so there, it's more than a call to just be in relationship. It's more than a call to just be like the world's friendliest group, that treats each other well. That's all extremely important to God, but there's something more. There's unity, like unity in what? He wants us to be unified in a common mission and a common purpose, a common direction. That direction is the direction Jesus gave us to to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and to know that he was with us always, like Jesus has our back. We can trust that he's going to be there for us. Our mission that glues us together, the thing that brings unity is a common purpose and mission. And when when we are unified around loving people that don't know Jesus, going to the ends of the earth or to the end of our cul-de-sac, to share the gospel and to love people the way God's loved us so that they can hear about a God that has radically changed our lives and our friends' lives, and then learn how to be disciple and and a, a follower of Jesus and to be grown up and matured in Christ and to be baptized, like that's the mission that glues us together. And we're glued together with God's mission and we treat each other the way God's desires for us to treat each other. We love each other well, we're kind to each other, we're gentle, we're patient. Like when we walk the walk and we're on the same page going the same direction, we become something insane, like this city on a hill that you just can't hide. Like a light on a lampstand that just no matter, no matter where you are, it sticks out like a lighthouse, like a beacon calling you to it. Like our actions, when we live this way, when we're that kind of family, our actions and the stories of how we love each other impact our community and draw them to God long before our words about the Bible ever do. When we walk the walk. God's desire is for us to be that kind of community. Now let's switch gears and talk ownership. Ownership is all about What's your part, right? Like we all have a part to play in creating or maintaining this kind of community, the family we're talking about, right? If you're, any of you are in a family, which um, you are, uh, 
Sometimes I surprise myself at how smart I am. If you're in a family, you know it doesn't, uh, it doesn't just, it do, everybody doesn't just get along. It takes work, right? Like you have to do your part for your family to work, to get along. So ownership is about what is your part in helping this community be the kind of community that God wants us to be. Um, you guys know that last summer I got to go to Turkey with Aaron and a bunch of other folks. And one of the things that stuck out to us everywhere we went throughout Turkey. So we're in uh, biblical Asia Minor. We went to see most of the, not, not, that maybe that's not accurate, a lot of the sites that are written about in the New Testament. The towns, the locations, the historical places, uh, the ruins. We got to go see all these places that were uh, really the history of the early church right? We got to go see all these places and the stories that kept sticking up to us all, all everywhere we went was how incredible these early Christians were at owning their faith, like doing their part to be the kind of people that God wanted them to be, like to be the kind of community that stuck out like a sore thumb in a good way, that drew people to it, like the kind of community that had nothing to offer except loving each other. And because of their commitment, their faith spread to the ends of the known earth at the time, like to every corner of the earth. One of the places we went uh, that kind of stuck out to me, it, every place stuck out to me. If you ever get a chance to go, you have to go. I can't wait to go back. One of the places that stuck out to me was a story about a, a thing that happened in Priene and uh, it stuck out to me because I grew up in North Idaho with a fireplace to heat the house. And so this just really resonated with me because I grew up stoking the fire. And if the fire went out, you woke up cold and waking up cold was no bueno, right? On a day like today and the fire went out at midnight, you wake up and you're like, no, I don't want to get out of the covers, right? That's, I, I grew up that way. Um, Priene is a town on the southwest corner of... Uh, Turkey, it's not far from Ephesus. It's uh, on this real steep hillside. It's a lot of granite and pine trees. And it feels a lot like kind of a Northwest kind of town, like Pacific Northwest, you know, even up like where I grew up. I was like, this feels homish. There's steep mountains, granite trees, rugged, really cool, beautiful place, these huge rocks, all these ruins. And one of the things we learned about in Priene was we learned about how they got their fire to heat their homes. There was a fire cauldron that had this eternal fire that never went out. In our neck of the woods, we would all call it a fire pit, right, with gas plumbed in, right? It was one of the cool ones you didn't have to light. They had this fire that kept going all the time, and so the, the way they got that fire was really interesting. They sent delegates from Priene to Mount Olympus, which was hundreds of miles away, and they would go to the top of Mount Olympus where there was this eternal fire, so they say, that burned at the top of Mount Olympus, and it's where they believed the gods first sent fire to the earth. And so this fire was special. It was the source, and it was from the gods. And so they would go there, they would light their torches, and then they would carry the torches and ferry them back through towns and villages where people would cheer and celebrate that the presence of the gods was coming through their town, symbolized by this fire, right? Does that sound a little familiar? You've seen something like this? And they would carry these torches, they would come back to Priene, they would light the, the fire pit, 
in their town. And if you were to get fire in that town, you had to go to that fire pit. Now, it was interesting while we were there because our group of uh, uh, regular old Americans, we went into problem-solving mode. So, you know, Aaron's throwing us a curveball like, well, how, what do they do? What do you do, Christian? What do you do? How do you put your God on display? Because in order to get fire from that fire pit, you have to offer incense. You have to make a pledge to the gods. You have to deny that God's the only true God, right? Like, what do you do? And so we're all like, well, I'd just go over here and get some flint and make my own fire. Like, the heck with the fire pit, you know? And so we, we do what normal people do, we try to figure out the end around, right? You know, the difference though is those Christians in Priene, those early followers of Jesus, knew that if smoke came out of their house, it told a story about who their God was that they didn't want to tell. It wasn't about where the fire came from. It was about whether or not people knew that they were set apart and different. And those Christians in Priene chose to live without fire. They took a stand as a family, as a community, to have each other's back, to make sure that in a culture of many gods, people would know that they were people that were willing to risk everything to follow the one true God. That's ownership. That's all in. Here's some, here's some things that are really cool I wanna share with you. For us as a church, for us as a family, right? When we live out our, community, the way we were talking about, the way God desires for us, when we treat each other well, when we're kind to each other, when we're loving for, to each other, when we're patient and kind with each other and we're forgiving and merciful and we, we play well together, but we also play together for the same reason. Cool stories start to come up today in our midst, just like the stories that were present from the people that were faithful in Turkey. Some stories that come up for us are stories like uh, a lot of you in our side of the congregation over here know a couple named John and Jody Gay. Um, and I asked these guys if they, I could embarrass them and stuff, so they said it was okay. Um, so John and Jody have two beautiful uh, young girls. They're an awesome couple. They help us set up and do all kinds of stuff behind the scenes and help with children's ministry, and they're just super cool people. But uh, they're married, and so they hit a stretch in their marriage where they're really struggling. So any of you in here married for more than three minutes? You've also been in that spot then, right? Like when you're married, you sometimes don't like your spouse and have a hard time getting along. And so they reached out to somebody in the family and said, hey, we need some help. We're struggling. And so people in the family came alongside them and walked through hard things with them and helped go through how to love each other, how to see things differently, how to come alongside them. And it started to bear fruit in their life and it started to bear fruit in their marriage to the point that they turned in a card praise report last week saying like, I mean, basically summarizing, thank you, Jesus, thank you, real life, thanks, family. Our marriage is saved. We are no longer in the place we used to be and our girls are on fire for Jesus, right? The girl you saw in the baptism video that uh, Corbin has been pouring into, investing into with his team. Uh, there's a picture up here of Harper getting baptized somewhere. There you go. There's little Harper, their older daughter. She's getting baptized. Like when we behave and love each other the way God wants us to love each other, like awesome stuff happens. God is at work in our midst. We start to hear stories about crazy things like 40 people signing up to go to the Financial Peace University class to try and figure out how to get out of debt, not only for their own personal life so that they can do life differently personally, 
but so that they can contribute differently as members of this family, so that they can be bought in and be generous and be helpful to us as a family of believers. Like being in debt takes away from your ability to be generous. Being in debt and stressed out about money not only takes away from your ability to be generous, it takes away from your ability to think about anything else on any given day because you're worried about stuff. And so there's people that are stepping up to figure out how to do life differently and asking people in the family for help. And people in the family are stepping up and helping them. Last, uh, I don't know, it's been a week and a half or so ago now, there was uh, something like 40 plus credit cards that went through the shredder, right? To me, that's like taking a stand, don't light your fire, we're gonna live in the cold, right? That's like American, take a stand, credit card shredding. That's cool. That's people owning their faith. We hear really cool stories. We hear stories about God showing up and loving us well. We hear stories about how God just blesses us. You know that, that scripture that he said to Micah, like, I don't want your sacrifice. It's not about what you can give me. It's about how you treat each other. And when you treat each other, that blesses me. Like, there's something that happened a couple over the course of the last week that was just this great reminder of how much God loves it when we love each other well, right? So uh, David, Skeet, uh, and Gabby, they're sitting in here somewhere. They go to church here. And David and Gabby uh, have a construction company and they do all kinds of stuff around town. Uh, David does technically, I guess. Um, and so he was doing some work up at WSU and ended up with a bunch of bunk beds randomly that needed a home and they were trying to figure out what to do with them. And he hits me up on the phone out of the blue. Hey, I got these bunk beds. What do I do with them? And do you guys need them or should I throw them away or like, you know, he's just reaching out. I'm thinking probably I'm getting like 400 year old bunk beds from WSU and I'm trying to figure out if we need a home, you know, like do we want to deal with that or not? I call Connie Ferguson up, who you guys met a few weeks ago with real needs. And I talked to Connie and said, hey, do you guys ever get a call for bunk beds? Should we take these? She goes, uh, once in a while, like usually a once or twice a year, like we'll, somebody will need bunk beds. But uh, she says, if you've got room, and so I'm thinking, you know, one thing we don't have in Pullman, uh, life without a building, one thing we don't have is a lot of room. So anyways, I'm like, you know what? I'm just feeling like we should probably take them. So I told, called David in two seconds. He's there. We unload them. Turns out they're brand new bunk beds have never been slept in. Six bunk beds and a single. This part's important. Connie calls me up two days later. Hey, you're never going to believe what just happened. We just got a call for bunk beds. Two of them. Two different families need bunk beds. Yesterday, she texts me and she says, you're never going to believe what just happened. We delivered six sets of bunk beds and a single bed to a lady who was a single mom sleeping on the floor. And these other bunk beds went to families with little kids that had been sleeping on the floor and didn't have a bed to sleep in. And she's like, just blown away. I, I'm sitting on the couch reading the text and I got tears in my eyes. I'm just like, God is so good to us. Right? That's the kind of dad we have. Right? When we, his kids, love each other well, 
and we look out for each other and we treat each other right and we look out for our friends and neighbors, God is a God that's like a dad that just can't possibly do enough good things for his good kids. Whether it's bunk beds or buildings, he's in for us, right? We have a good God. Hey, if you're serving communion, now would be your cue to go and grab the communion trays and uh, I know, subtle, subtle. Uh, at Real Life, if you're new with us and uh, maybe haven't been here before, uh, when it comes to communion, we have what we call an open table. That means that anybody that wants to celebrate the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus can take communion with us. We look at you like family if you're in with Jesus. So uh, when those are passed out, just hold on to them and we'll take communion together in a couple of minutes, okay? All right, let's look at some questions real quick. They're going to be in your notes, uh, sermon notes. And so you know that we're doing, uh, in our home groups, we're building the home group content around what we're talking about on Sunday morning. So these are questions you would talk about in your home group. All right, which fruit of the Spirit do you feel God is currently developing or refining in you personally? Okay. Great opportunity to get a little bit transparent. What's God up to in you personally? What do you think God's really working on. Next one. What are some things you could do to elevate the unity of your home group? Thanks. Elevate the unity of your home group. When you think about it, like, is your home group on mission so that people who don't know Jesus in our community in our workplaces, in our neighborhoods, could get the opportunity to hear the good news about Jesus. Is your home group, are they galvanized together around a common purpose that people would get the opportunity to know about the God that you love? Like, is that what's pulling your group together? Next one. What's your part in helping our church family be the kind of community God's calling us to be? Again, ownership. Like when it comes, it's not about, you know, church at large, big church in America. They need this, they need that. It's not about those, it's the I statement stuff. What's your part in helping us be this kind of church? Next. Share a story of a win in your life. How has being a part of your home group or this church uh, family impacted you or others you know? It's really important that we share what God's doing. Like those stories I was telling you, there's so many stories and we, we get an opportunity every Monday. One of the things we do as a team, and I don't know that I've ever shared this, it's probably important to share this. One of the things we do every Monday as a staff, before we do anything else, before we look at connection cards, before we look at prayer requests, before we talk shop, we pray and we say, what have we seen God doing? And we take turns talking about what God's been up to in our family. That's how we start our week every week. And we get reminded of how God is at work in our midst. And then we start going through prayer requests and praying for you guys. It's important that you remind each other what God is up to, what God is doing, right? There's a million ways to get tired and discouraged. It's so important that we share what God's doing. I hope your home groups are lit up with good news this week. All right? 
Hey, we're going to wrap up this morning doing what we do every week. We're going to remember that we have a good God who is a loving dad that was willing to go to any length to make a way for us to have a relationship with him, not just heaven, but now, every day, that we can be connected with him and to have his spirit just like how he poured out his spirit on Aaron. It's, it's available to us because of what Jesus did. And so we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it and he gave thanks. So as often as we get together, let's do this and remember it to him. In the same way, after dinner, he took the cup. He said, this cup represents the new covenant, which is his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's drink this and remember it to him. God, you're a good God, you're a good dad. Thanks for loving us well and uh, just looking out for us in the smallest of things, whether it's bunk beds, marriage problems, financial problems, credit, credit cards and debt. I mean, just all the things that we get ourselves into, you're right there like a good dad to walk alongside of us the minute we're ready to get out. And so thanks for that. We pray that you would just keep drawing us to yourself and keep spurring us on as a family, Lord, to be the kind of family that uh, tells a good story about who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life on the Palouse. You can find out more about us by visiting us online at liferotp.com and connecting with us on Facebook and Instagram. Until next time, have a great week.